Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast and one of a collection of podcasts recorded live at UK Reef in Leeds in May. This recording is of a panel session delivered in partnership with Clyde & Co that takes a deeper look at why partnership is key to a sustainable future. Chaired by EG's Deputy Editor Tim Burke, this fascinating 40-minute discussion with experts from across the public and private sectors seeks to unpack how collaboration is key in creating communities where people and business can thrive. Make sure to listen right to the end for a little exclusive news from the team at EG too. So, pour yourself a cuppa, plug in and enjoy. EG at UK Reef, why partnership is key to a sustainable future. Uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to EG's UK Reef Breakfast Briefing um, alongside Clyde and Co. I'm Tim Burke. I'm EG's Deputy Editor. You wouldn't know it from the photo there because it's so old and, and, and so bad. Um, thank you for joining us bright and early. I hope you've all enjoyed the breakfast. When we had a briefing call for this panel, um, Jackie Sadek asked whether there would be bacon rolls. And when she was told no, said that's the wrong answer, but hopefully the croissants were, uh, hopefully the croissants were, were good enough. <laughs> um, thank you all for being here. Thank you to the team at Situ for, for hosting us here as well. Uh, we're talking this morning about public-private partnerships across the built environment and specifically their importance on the journey to net zero. Um, so as you'll know, local authorities own millions of square feet of, of commercial real estate assets that need to be brought up to standard. So we want to dig in today into how the private sector can help on that journey, how do we change the buildings and in doing so change the communities that they house and that they serve. And we have uh, five experts to help us walk through, uh, walk through the topic. Um, starting at the far end, joined by Ramona Jones, Deputy Director at the Office for Investment. Travan Joshi, who is the Chairman of the Planning and Transportation Committee uh, at the City of London Corporation. Jackie Sadek, um, anything that she doesn't know about regeneration isn't worth, isn't worth knowing, of course, uh, and Director of Urban Strategy. Um, Jonathan Wilson, Managing Director at Situ. I realise my names here are out of whack now. I do apologise. And Andrew Wallace here, um, partner at Clyde & Co. Thank you all. Thank you all for being here um, with EG this morning. Andrew, I'm going to ask you if it's okay to, um, to kick us off. Uh, Talk us through why, why public-private partnerships have such a crucial role to play in the journey to net zero as real estate addresses its sustainability challenges. Um, right, well, thanks for, thanks for giving me the opportunity to start the, uh, start the morning. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a really, it's a really difficult... Uh, it, it's really difficult for everybody, isn't it? Because, fundamentally, we've not done this before. Um, we are... Um, in another revolution, in, in a way, there was the industrial revolution, we're now in an environmental revolution and there's no right or wrong answer. Um, we don't have one size fits all. Um, we are very much learning as we go along and we are refining and using technology and innovation to get better and better. Um, the other challenge is of course that we're working, as lawyers would say, time is of the essence and we have, um, we have a deadline to meet um, that's fast approaching and we have to find ways of getting there as quickly as we possibly can. Now, um, for me, this is obviously on a very holistic and a personal level, but um, 
because there's no right or wrong answer, we do have to just get on and do it. Um, we have various pressures and forces behind all of that. Typically, I mean, for, for me, there's a combination of uh, competition within individual sectors, uh, as we had in the Industrial Revolution. You take, you know, the, the ACDC wars of the 1880s in America. You've got two, um, two products for the same solution running alongside each other at the same time, but through, through advancement, refinement, one becomes more successful than the other. Mm. Um, VHS and Betamax, <laughs> typical examples. But what, you, what, what we've got the benefit of are the pressures of, uh, the pressures of commerce within the sectors, but then the drivers and the motivations across the, behind each of the individual sectors. If you combine those forces, mm. you can make a very powerful, um, a very powerful case for good, and, and speed the process up. So that for me is partnership, collaboration, and the fusion of those different motivations. So the case, the case for it is clear, but of course the challenges in, in actually pulling it together are, are pretty stark. What are some of the perceived problems? Um, and sticking points to making um, these kind of partnerships. I'm sure work. we'll hear many <laughs> during the course of this conversation. Um, but as a lawyer, I guess I would I would naturally start uh, with procurement. Um, it's an obvious one in the public-private partnership um, scenario. Um, the procurement rules for any regeneration and redevelopment always have to be considered, don't they? When 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 the private uh, when the public-led, um, but they are so slow, aren't they? Um, you know, before just 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 getting to the point where you've got a contract in place, and all of the relevant parties uh, are in a position where they can put a spade in the ground, can take at least 12 months. Um, and as I said, time is of the essence, and that is that that is a that that is a big challenge. Now, um, the old EU rules that we're now moving away from post post Brexit, the old EU rules focus very much upon. Um, upon a level playing field, creating a level playing field, and they would quite often um, promote the most economically advantageous solution, which doesn't necessarily always go hand in hand with the extra costs that are involved in decarbonisation. Um, and so there, there are challenges around there. Thankfully, post-Brexit, the new regulations that, uh, that, that, and the new legislation that the government is, 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 is in the process of bringing in changes, changes that focus away from, away from more from the level and creates more flexibility to actually build in the additional costs and not necessarily get penalised for not winning those, winning those contracts. Um, there's a lot of legislation. It's a piece of legislation. Uh, there's a lot of statutory guidelines that we yet haven't seen around that secondary legislation, um, but that's certainly a, a step in the right direction. I could go on, but I, I'm, I'm conscious that other people are going <laughs> to want, want things to want No, to thank, thank you, thank you. Um, Jackie, when we spoke before, you were talking about um, what you'd seen as slow progress, really, <laughs> over, the, over the decades, and you touched on a, a sort of continuing lack of trust between the real estate industry and, and the communities that it works in. How, how do you see that manifesting itself and what does it, what does it get in the way of? Uh, well, can I just take a step back and go back to something that Andrew said first and I'll come to that because I think it's very important. I, mean, I was in on the birthplace of urban regeneration as you say, Tim. I mean, I'm a very old woman really and I, I knew Canary Wharf before it was even a hole in the ground. So, you know, I watched the inception of the whole urban regeneration sector uh, and I watched it grow and, and develop and what have you. 
And it, something that Andrew said really resonated with me, which is we'd never done it before. We were in a whole new uncharted territory and we had to invent the whole methodology. And the only way we ever managed to do urban regeneration was by working in partnership. Um, and, and I've worked in partnerships, public sector, private sector partnerships, all my life, four, four decades in my career. And it is a bit of a struggle, to be honest with you. But I can't see any other way of doing it. And that's really my problem about where we've got to now. We're now facing this massive existential threat. The only way we can work, we can actually sort it, in any way tackle it, tackle it at all, this massive challenge that we're, we're, we're facing, is by working together and by pulling together. And then I get completely exasperated for all the stuff you've just alluded to, which is that I've been working in partnerships for 40 years, and we've still not got any better at it. And we're going to have to shape up, frankly, if we're going to tackle this existential threat. So I've got a real... I am really struggling. I'm the biggest advocate of partnership working. But the problem you've always got with partnerships is, number one, partnerships will always fight like rats in a sack unless there's iron discipline exerted. And unless you go basically say to people, we've got a shared endeavour and you're going to have to put your own personal grievances to the one side while we reach this goal, right? Really important. So that's number one problem is you've got to be, you've got to have a proper leader who can kind of crack the whip and say, look, for God's sake, you know, grow up, let's, be, let's get sensible about what we're trying to achieve here. We'll face annihilation unless we do something about it. So that's number one. And then number two, bloody partnerships. God almighty, 40 years I've been in them. You can only ever go at the speed of the slowest member of the partnership. So that's another thing that needs turbocharging. And I've got to the point now where I think we're going to have to take a whole new, fresh look at partnership working, because unless we do... I think we are, and I'm sorry, I'm going to use a technical term now, I think we're buggered. <laughs> How do we turn the situation, the situation around? What, what can that new approach be? A lot of, it seems to be that you're talking about mindsets in some quarters. Is it a need for new thinking within real estate as an industry? Let's look at what the private sector need to offer first. Well, uh, the private sector have got a huge amount to offer and have to start to be a lot more savvy about working with their host local authorities. Some wonderful people over here from South Lincolnshire who are demonstrating exactly that in their patch, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely open to all suggestions from the private sector for investment. There's quite a lot we can do there. Public sector have to get an awful lot more market savvy about what would work. I think government has to get an awful lot cleverer about what is supported and how it's supported and how we incentivise that sort of partnership working. I think we can do it, Tim. The problem I've got is every time I try to wrestle with the problem, I think, well, what the hell has MIPIM been doing for the last uh, 30 years? Why haven't we got better at this? I, I think this is a great show, but frankly, why aren't we getting better at this? This show's been going for two years. Why aren't we getting better at this? Why do we pass like ships in the night? Why aren't people triaging relationships a bit more? No, no pressure or anything um <laughs> I, I, you know i just i just think we could just get so much better at it and i'm exasperated because every partnership i've ever gone into and god knows i've been in more partnerships than you've had at dinners we've reinvented the wheel each time and actually what i think we have to do is start putting together a proper blueprint for what works and what doesn't and start at a properly developing the sector so it's not all it doesn't grow ad hoc it grows systematically Sorry, I'm ranting. You're not at all. Um, 
Ramona, how would you respond to some of those points and maybe give us some insight into, um, from your seat, how do you view the kind of investment opportunities that, um, that the country can offer as it, as it grapples with, with the challenges that we're talking about here? I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with Jackie. Um, and maybe fell off my chair there from just trying to shuffle. Um, so, I mean, I have, a, I have a particular perspective on it, perhaps a narrower one than, than, than many of you. So, Office for Investment, we were set up to land foreign investment into the UK, to land transformational, um, highly strategic, high-value um, investors into the UK, and that includes pools of capital from around the world, institutional funds, but also corporate investors. Um, so from my narrow lens, what I see is that actually international investors are also very, very keen to adopt a partnership, you know, partnership perspective and partnership lens. Um, so I have the dual role of, you know, quarrelling my regional stakeholders and my private sector partners to demonstrate that we are willing to work, you know, as UK PLC, UK partnerships to international investors. Um, and the institutional, you know, the large pension funds, the, the sovereign wealth funds, the kind of equity funds, actually, they, all they want to see is that as um, a central government, as local government, as industry partners, we, are, we have skin in the game, we want to work together, and which is why we're looking a lot at new ways of working and new frameworks, co-investment opportunities, how do we commercialise publicly held assets, uh, moving away from some of the scary words around, you know, that have been floating in central government around sort of PFI or, mm. or selling off the, you know, the family silver. So, so we are, we have to work in a, in a new way. Jackie, Jackie is right. So we can't use old methods and old ways of thinking. We've run out of time almost to do that. So, you know, from my perspective, I am trying to demonstrate the similar sort of sets of solutions and frameworks to an international investor audience. Lots of capital who absolutely want to invest in the UK. And the only way to make it work is to demonstrate genuine partnerships and, and genuine will and sort of skin in the game to work to you know, more sustainable growth and sustainable sectors. I don't know whether that answers the question or not. Yeah, it do, no, it does. Thank you. And, and Jonathan, to, to bring you in, I wonder if we can talk through some of Situ's um, projects and, and sort of draw out some of your um, your learnings in this area. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to jump back as well. I think um, I'm sort of going to follow on from what Jackie said. I think we we stand today in as a society, as a globe, and as a planet of, at a point of um, genuine emergency. And I think what we see. Um, we're proud, we're proud as a business to be um, a solution to that in the cities we work, looking for innovation, different ways of designing places, cities, working our way back in. But the stark reality is, is that we talk about a target of 20, 2050, and I'm not here to preach, it's not, it's not actually in my comfort zone to preach, we're, we're more about solutions. But on the basis that we're having this conversation, I think we do need to acknowledge the fact that if we develop and change like we have in the last five years and times that for every year up to 2050 we are buggered and we're buggered way before 2050. I think um, to sort of touch on what Andrew said the industrial revolution in some ways was a choice this is no longer a choice and I think when in the work we do um, 
We're, we're a developer, relatively small, Yorkshire-based. We deliver uh, a couple of hundred homes a year currently. But we've had to go back and rip the model apart. Systematically, we've had to start again. We've had to start again with our purpose. We've had to start again with how we deliver the places we deliver, where we deliver the places we deliver. And the reality is, in the last 10 years of our growth, we've had blockers every single step of the way. Whether that's finance, whether that's local authorities, I promised myself I wouldn't talk about planning, so I won't. But every single step, we've had to, we've had to fight. We've had to fight to deliver zero carbon places that don't have cars as the big, massive necessity. We've had to fight for changing the way that people can use the amenity space outside the front door, fight for removing fences. And the reality is, is that we need to, as, without saying we're buggered, we, do need to, we all need to take a step back, realise this is an emergency. The crazy thing is, is that when COVID hit, as a globe, we responded like it was an emergency. We actually did innovate. We actually did break down silos and we got ourselves together. We united, we behaved ourselves um, and we, we went through dramatic change in a really short amount of time. We talk about the climate emergency and yeah, I agree completely. We, we get ourselves together and we talk about a whole host of things, but we need to now realize that we are in an emergency. And what we're doing as a business is, is trying to create an exemplar model of how you can ultimately buy land, deliver high performance, great places where people want to leave, live, where people want to um, have the ability to change without it being forced upon them. But in terms of partnerships, um, we see very few. Is the, honest, is the honest answer. We've created a vertically integrated model um, to deliver what we're doing. We're proud of it, but it's not easy. So we need to now, I think my message would be that we, we all need to go away and we, we do this every day and ask ourselves, what do we do next? And that would be my, my answer to that on the basis of what we're doing here. What do you need from local authorities? What do you need from government? Um, I mean, the, the easy answer to that is always about land. Mm. Um, you know, the houses that you may have seen as you come in here, the first houses in Lee City Centre for 100 years because the, the natural cycle is you move out to leave your suburbs and suburbs and suburbs and suburbs. Therefore, you need a car, you travel more, um, and you're often um, yeah, moving for what you think are the right reasons, but they're not necessarily. I think um, we, we, we're going to dispel that. We will, we will deliver this exemplar model and land in, in the open market will be something we can tackle. I think in terms of working with the local authorities, desperately trying not to go back to planning. But I think is the fact that we, we silo things. We end up in, in the local authorities we work in. And, and I will say, you know, we've got a good relationship with them, but there's so many policies that have restricted innovation, so many policies that have restricted change that actually, um, what, what, what I do say, I'm not, this isn't something that is being said behind any local authority we work with, what I do say is we've got to go back to basics and treat this like an emergency. And so, you know, we talk as a business, one of, our, one of our core values is about breaking the rules to make the rules. And we don't get enabled to do that at all. So I would say it's about, it would be about connecting with the problem, connecting with the solution and enabling it because we get put into the naughty, the naughty boy and girl box um, by a local authority to make sure that shit stuff doesn't happen in, in their cities. Mm. Shravan, the city's um, 
a really distinct case here, isn't it? I mean, very small in terms of a residential population, not to diminish the importance of that residential population, but almost entirely business-focused, um, a huge concentration of historic buildings that you face challenges with, but that also, I presume, give you, give you a huge opportunity. And I know over, the, over recent years, you, you've been helping to oversee um, a real variety of new initiatives that um, are sort of changing the face of the square mile and, and making strides in, in terms of how it's tackling sustainability. Take us through the, take us through the journey the City Corp has, sure. has been on in putting that in place. Thanks. Uh, so to give a little bit of context, um, as we're talking about partnerships, so uh, we're a corporation that has local authority function. That's our, our sort of definition of ourselves. So um, we talk about partnerships. We've been doing partnerships for 950 years um, since William the first, first stepped foot into London. Um, so our first, our first approach to partnerships was with the Crown, and still is. And, and, and so we have this odd relationship where we are entrusted in, in, in a probably more or, you know, autonomous way than most local authorities are mm. with the square mile. Um, you know, looking at international investment, I think 96% of money flowing into property investment in the square mile is from international investors. It's not domestic. There's no government uh, handout. There's no cap in hand. Yep. It's private investment going into, today, fully sustainable net zero buildings. And that's driven by the money, but the money is driven by looking at the tenants that want to occupy. So you've now got, and I think this is, this is one of the things where, where um, climate, I think, is different to other sectors. We've got a democratization of information that we've never had during the Industrial Revolution, for example. So you're getting policy changes almost driven from grassroots up by the common man who knows what's going on. And, and there's a transparency there that needs to be catered for and, and accepted. And so when, when we, we're defining policy, the way we approached it was to say, right, first of all, we need a statement of community engagement that actually makes sure that voices are heard. That's where we started from. And actually, sorry, but we, we didn't jump on the climate emergency bandwagon. Being slightly apolitical, it was easier for us to avoid having to do that. Uh, we didn't do that at all. So we said, right, statement of community involvement, let's listen to what people have to say. We did data gathering and came up with that engagement for about 18 months. That then formed the premise of our climate action plan, and that gave us the ability to set timeframes that we knew we could deliver and fund because we had the data. So we, we, we avoided sort of saying 2030 or 2040 or 2050 because we know time rolls on very quickly. Um, so, so realistic targets, fully funded, and that drove the private sector to have confidence in what we were saying because we back it up with evidence um, to the point now where we've come up with carbon optioneering guidance as a planning authority. So this was passed actually just a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're expecting developers to retrofit first, whatever the solution. They've got to start with retrofit first. They've got to come up with arguments to redevelop. Doesn't mean redevelopment doesn't happen. But you've got to have, you know, proper the case. The default for, will be. Yeah, you've got to have a proper case for stranded asset. You've got to have a proper case for not being able to deliver operational carbon reduction in that building through retrofit. Um, and 
yes, it adds a layer of cost and a layer of, of pr process to it, but we think that's justified for the end game that's, that's there. I'll give you a really good example because it's in the public now. Um, there's Clifford Chance moving from Canary Wharf to the city. And one of the main reasons they wanted to move across was they could have a fully electrified building that had a net zero operational footprint on site in yeah. a square mile. And that was one of the big drivers for them to come across because they want to get their lawyers back to work. They actually want people in the office. They want clients to visit them in the office and they want their office to reflect their values as an organisation. And they can't be sat in a, in a polluting environment. So, so they're willing to pay peak rent to achieve that. Yep. And we actually achieved peak rent in the city in October last year. Um, and that was for a net zero building as well. So we're starting to the market driving the change. And that's been our approach, is, is take that, that sort of partnership model, but it's driven by <coughs> market forces. So what do you think other local authorities could learn from the City Corp, if they look at what you've done? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> so again, it, it, you know, our governance structure is slightly different. I, I think the, the, the statement of community engagement is really important. And, and off the back of that, we actually came up with a developer engagement guide, guidance. And that developer engagement guidance is there to, well, it was, it was done in partnership with the developers, actually. It wasn't just done by us. We did it in partnership with them to allow them to demonstrate their engagement with local communities and stakeholders to say, we've actually listened to you when we're coming up with our solutions. And, and that DG has been adopted by a couple of other local authorities in our vicinity. Um, we've also done a lot of work on sort of light um, reductions that made the front page of the, of the papers, um, you know, looking at how, how you reduce light pollution. Um, and again, we've got other local authorities around the world wanting to, to, to look at our SPD and, and see how they could, they could achieve the same thing. So, you know, we don't mind being at the forefront of that bow wave, um, but, you know, it, 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 we found there's quite a few policies that, that tend to sort of seep through by osmosis to our neighbours. Excellent. Should we open up to the floor? Because I'm conscious that we're, we're sort of running close to time. Um, we've got a couple of roving mics. Would anyone like to put uh, a question to any of our panellists? Hi there. My name's Emilios. I work for a developer in London, SAV Group. We're looking at a lot of stuff in the city at the moment. And my question was, um, how do you respond to the challenge of, you, you know, you said uh, people want that grade A space that meets all the sustainability credentials. But with the square mile, typically you're providing office space, are you looking at alternative uses for old buildings that might not be able to meet those standards uh, and diversify the land uses in the city? Thanks. Um, of course. Uh, so so uh, we got an exemption from the Secretary of State to Article 4, so um, you, don't, you cannot simply convert office to resi um, without our approval. And our basic remit is to promote um, office use for economic growth. Um, we've got about 600 odd historical assets um, in the square mile. Um, and the way we've approached it, and, and, and sort of put it into context, about 80% of our office stock in the square mile is prime or super prime. So there's about 20% that you'd call grade B or C, and, and the historical bits fit within that. Um, the way we've taken that approach is to form a grouping for heritage assets to look at how they can achieve sort of reduction in their footprints, but we've also given them exemptions 
that you wouldn't get in, in sort of grade A offices because we realise actually that there's, there's, there's so much operational uh, capital to put in to achieve even the smallest gain, it's, it's almost not worth it. Um, in terms of differentiation of use, um, we're finding um, sectors coming in, startup sectors, innovators coming in who want space near their clients but can't afford the grade A, and they, they will come in and occupy that. Meanwhile, uses are coming in, um, things like creative arts, media, um, you know, uh, I think fintech is now well established, but we're getting legal tech, reg tech, insure tech coming in and taking up those spaces. Um, so th there is a there is sort of pipeline of, of sectors moving in that traditionally wouldn't have come to the city because of that availability of space. So we're taking it as an opportunity rather than a threat. Any other thoughts from the panel on that change of use? Uh, the luxury of being able to have an exemption plant. Yeah, oh. sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm just showing off now, aren't I? Sorry. <laughs> well, well, all I'll say is, I mean, I mean Westminster yeah. used to say, well, we never would have um, refused any, any office to residential that, you know... They didn't ever refuse those things. They were kind of permitted developments, kind of gone too far, hasn't it? Really. So I, I you know, I, I, th I think it's great you've got an exemption. If I was other, another local authority, I'd be asking for an exemption too. Is all I'm saying. Any other questions from the floor? Hi there. My name is Mark Barzum from New Steerway Property and Planning Consultancy. Um, really interesting to hear your take there, Shravan. But. How e I'm not saying it's easy, but you are in the city where you're getting forty, fifty pound per square foot rents. I hope not. I'm getting more than that. But yes. Well, uh, <laughs> at least you're getting at least. And I really yeah. want to hear from Jonathan really about places that aren't achieving those incredible values and yet justifying the additional cost. Because frankly, that's what drives it, isn't it? It's you're competing for land, you're competing for opportunities. You've got to deliver the price point and how can you evidence that your price point is competitive when you're having to spend more to achieve that because you've got the rightful lofty goals of making the world a more sustainable place? Um, it's a great question. It's, one, it's something we get asked all the time. Um, we, we often get asked, you know, do the triple glaze windows cost more? Well, yeah. Um, but the reality is, is that what, what we've had to do in the last um, really 12 years is we've had to go right back to a blank piece of paper and say, how can we deliver um, the places we deliver at a cost point where we can challenge the land? And that was, that's never about the components that go into a building. It's not about the tech that goes into a building. It's about the inefficiency in building the building. So Mark Farmer, um, who, who did a, a compelling report in 2017 saying that in the construction industry, at best, we're working at 40% um, efficiency in terms of time and materials. So we went back to basics next door, we've got a factory, and that factory works at 92% efficiency currently. Now, obviously, then it goes to site and it, it loses a bit more. But what that means is that we, we capture and reduce cost in the process, the, the system and the process, <coughs> to enable us to deliver higher quality, higher performing homes, I guess, at the, the front end, let's say. But to do that, we've had to set up a trading business that only trades with ourselves. Um, we've, we've had to bring in um, every part of that process to create a vertically integrated model. When we did that and we went out to try and fund that, for example, um, the answer was, this, you're it's too risky, we're not, we're not, you know, we, we can't fund you and we're I'm talking about private, public sector money. 
Um, so that's our journey. You know, our journey is to dispel this, the, the principle that it costs more because um, it doesn't. We're, we are at that point, at that tipping point now where we are able to challenge in the market with house builders or, or developers for land in the north. Um, we certainly wouldn't be able to do so in, in the south. Um, we're very aware of that, but we're also very comfortable about creating impact in the Yorkshire region. Um, so that, that question is something that we had on the table 12 years ago and we had to rip up everything up and we had to invest heavily into building a, a completely new system. When you explain that um, to other developers, um, you explain that still to our banks, there's just a huge risk. Everyone, everyone just runs away from risk, whereas we see risk as innovation. And I think that's, we may be crazy, but we've, we've, we're on that journey and it's, um, it's, we're at the point in that journey where it's starting to pay dividends and we're starting to create ripple effects in the right places. Ramona, that idea of reframing risk as, as innovation, what role does, does government have in pushing that as well to, to external parties, to overseas capital? I think, um, I think we'll have to be quite honest with ourselves, the central government, is that we need a new approach to risk and risk appetite and it would be no surprise to everyone that people generally think we're a whole bunch of risk averse people. Um, but there are new ways to think about it and partnerships will work when we're willing to share some of that risk, underwrite some of that risk and dig into account some of the kind of future benefits and the softer benefits rather than the usual sort of spreadsheet approach. So we fully you know, we're fully behind um, that idea. And um, Andrew, you've seen your clients embrace that, embrace the innovation, the flexibility, let's say, um, that's going to be called for. Yeah, I, 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 I guess we do. We, we do have a few examples of um, of where partnerships in a, in, in a strict sense and in a looser sense do do work, but it does it does take. Um, you know, there is there is give and take. All on on that journey. Um, the, the, there's, there's a great example: Brighton and Hove uh, Council um, and the university there, working with you and I, did a, did a great project which involved um, the university and the council putting land in and receiving a product in return, which was um, a highly sustainable product and was all about delivering. Um, delivering a great environment for, for, for all sorts of different sectors. Um, but, but, but that journey was something that was uh, that, that was a vision from the outset. It wasn't an afterthought. So the, the whole project was set up on that basis. But it, that, that's, that's the point, isn't it? That it yeah. takes that forethought and um, not reactionary. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, ladies and gents, we are we are almost out of time. But I'm going to ask Jackie for a few final words, and oh. that's because. She sent me an email yesterday that said she thought she could close with a rallying cry. A rallying <laughs> cry. Rallying cry was actually the subject line of the email. <laughs> so I can't, I, can't, I can't turn that down. I, I don't know about the rallying cry, but I'm, I'm actually rather heartened by this panel discussion. And I have to say, Jonathan is a dream investor uh, and should be welcomed with open arms by any local authority in, in the room. Um, listening to Chevron speaking, uh, I'm struck very much by the fact that I... Partnership working is not a nice to have, even with your high values, it is an essential sort of sine qua non of moving forward. And it's really increasingly uh, encouraging that local authorities are prepared to put their assets in, the better local authorities 
are prepared to put their assets in, and all of that should be encouraged. I have to say, I totally welcome the innovation, of the, 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 the creation of the Office for, for Investment. I think it's a great thing coming out of government. I think what we need is re-energising uh, all of the partnership working that we see acro across the... And I keep going on about South Lincolnshire, but there's three boroughs over there, local authorities working together for growth and sustainability. And the economies of scale that they're driving and the attractiveness of their places using that platform of partnership is very, very encouraging. We need flexibility and innovation more than ever. And, and I think the EG are taking a lead, Tim, aren't you? Well, you, with your help, Jackie, because you're very kindly on board um, helping us launch but our all, public... I'm going to get all of you, so, you know. <laughs> I, 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 thought this was, I thought this was where we were leading with that. Yeah. But no, we, um, EG is launching a, a public sector forum um, over the summer, which is our, our attempt at teasing out some fresh approaches to, to partnerships uh, across the built environment. Jackie is very kindly um, on board with that, and we'll be bringing, um, we'll be bringing those lessons together with, with insights from our investor and advisory forums, which, have, uh, which are already well established. Um, so we're looking forward to seeing what we can draw out from there. Um, but as, as Jackie said, I think it all takes a new approach and, uh, and some fresh thinking. That's right. <laughs> well, listen, um, Jackie, thank you for your help on, uh, on that. Um, thank you to our panelists. Thank you to Clyde & Co. Uh, for their support today, and of course to Jonathan and the team for hosting us here. Um, there is coffee and breakfast still being served if you'd, like to, um, if you'd like to join us for that. But for now, if you could show your appreciation to our panelists. Thank you. <laughs>